I think Hollywood portrayal is actually showing some of the cybersecurity industry and having better representation and not just being the hooded uh, young teenage boy, um, I think does help draw more attention. But then there's groups that are popping up or have been around for a while and just are now finally getting some of the funding and momentum. Welcome to the Rain Insights Podcast. I'm Emily Donahue. Just as the high-tech industry has been dominated by men, especially in the United States for most of its history, so too has the field of cybersecurity, a growing area of expertise and certainly a crucial need for businesses amid a near-constant threat of cyber attack. It is still a career path dominated by men. One study shows men still outnumber women three to one. In today's podcast, our host, Denny Watson, Rain's Executive Director of Geopolitical and Threat Intelligence, speaks with Deborah hausen Curiel and Dr. Andrea Little-Lumbago, both of whom are leaders in the cybersecurity field. Deborah hausen Curiel is Chief Legal Officer and VP of Regulation at Confidus Digital Limited in Tel Aviv, and she teaches cyber law at Hebrew University. As the Vice President of Research and Analysis at Interos, Andrea Little-Lumbago leads the company's research and analytical work, modeling global supply chain risk with a focus on globalization, cybersecurity, and geopolitics. Let's listen in to what promises to be a very interesting conversation. Thank you for joining us today. Thanks to our two speakers for agreeing to, to meet with us to discuss an important issue around bringing more women into the cybersecurity field, um, as well as enabling them to have more impact. We started this program, one of the things that, that struck our attention was a new study conducted by the National Initiative for Cybersecurity Careers and Studies, which said that women made up 11% of information security jobs globally in 2013. And seven years later, their research shows that women now make up nearly a quarter of the cybersecurity workforce. So I thought we would start there with those statistics, uh, those promising statistics, and ask whether or not they're actually valid and if we're seeing that kind of of change in the field. And Andrea, um, I wanted to start with you and your experience here in the U.S. Do you want to talk a little bit? Sure, yeah. And uh, thanks so much for having me. Um, so, yeah, I think it is interesting. And it's been one of those, it's been a big point of discussion, I think, amongst the, the women in the community as to how valid that, that real, those numbers really are. And I do think that when you start looking internationally, it is a bit different. different and there are you know, some, some variations going you know, country to country on the uh, percentage of women in, in the industry. And so, on the one hand, that's great. That means there's lots of lessons learned to help improve uh, the numbers in the United States. And I think Deb's going to help us with, with some of that. Uh, but I personally have not seen you know, that large of the jump uh, in, in the United States. And so um, I hope that they're, you know, it's moving in the right direction. But I think still way too often too many of us are you know, the, the only woman in the room. And uh, there really just aren't. A t- you know, back when we had conferences still going around to the conferences, it was very evident that there still was you know, a big disparity. And so... You know, I think like all these kind of uh, statistics, you know, it's good to get some some additional data, maybe do another study, um, look at the methodology behind it. And, you know, I, I, I hope it is moving in, in that direction, um, but I am uh, cautious when, when looking at them. It, just, it has not been my own personal experience, but, uh, you know, I, I'd, it'd be phenomenal if it was a, the experience for other women. Thanks, Andrea. Thanks for that input. 
I wanted to move next to Deb. You're sitting in Israel, where, as we discussed before, the lay of the land is quite different than it is here in the U.S. Could you walk us through what that looks like? Sure. Uh, let me start by saying that I'm also uh, really appreciative of this opportunity and uh, uh, thankful for uh, this exchange of views. I know I'm about to learn a lot. Uh, and I want to start by agreeing with um, the idea that more research is needed, more numbers are needed, and beyond the numbers, the issue of impact. Um, and uh, I'm uh, uh, smiling as I begin to speak because uh, uh, I, I shared with uh, the participants, uh, with all three of us today, a uh, um, notice of a conference that's taking place actually next week uh, under the auspices of UNIDIR with a really strong statement before I get to Israel again about uh, some of the change that might be happening. So this is a conference that um, is being held on the 28th of September. Uh, it's called the Cyber, Cyber Stability Conference. It's under the auspices of UNIDIR, which uh, is the UN Institute for Disarmament research. And uh, Unidir came into the cyber realm about two years ago. And it's headed by a woman named Renata Duan, who's an absolutely amazing uh, leader, thought leader, and other other type of leader. Uh, and what really brought a smile to my lips, and I'm, I'm so happy to share this, is that um, the Cyber Stability Conference, which is a pretty, uh, a fairly high profile conference, has five speakers uh, at their formal opening, absolutely top notch cyber experts and they're all women and so not only are they all women they're women from i think almost every at least three different continents so um i was really encouraged by that kind of evidence that um not only are efforts being made and numbers possibly changing, but uh, uh, to the extent that cyber conferences uh, actually have impact on what happens in, in the cyber world, I think this is a really interesting uh, phenomenon that we wouldn't have seen, I think, in the past. So glad, glad to have this uh, piece of information to share. Uh, so all that is uh, by way of introduction to uh, what things look like in Israel. And uh, it, I don't mean to do... Uh, this is not the time for a lecture on Israeli cybersecurity or women in uh, in Israeli cybersecurity. We can get into some of the details later on, but I think the big uh, the big difference in Israel uh, for cyber in general and for women in particular uh, is the uh, centrality of army service in our country. So everybody, uh, almost everybody, is uh, a is recruited for mandatory service, and our 8200 cyber unit uh, uh, has become legendary for what it does uh, in defensive cyber. And uh, uh, women are Im important uh, important leaders within 8200. Um, and we can talk a little bit more about what happens in 8200, but they uh, are really uh, quite prominent uh, from an early age on. So we're talking about 18-year-olds uh, through age 23. So at an early from an early time in their life, uh, many women uh, who go through their army service in units like 8200 really get top-notch professional training uh, and also a love for cyber profession. So I'll stop there. We can do more details later if it's relevant. Thanks, Deb. Uh, super interesting. Um, and it's a, that is a great example uh, of where things may hopefully be changing. So, Deb, I wanted to pull a little bit harder on, on your example. Are there other useful elements that you see around how women are incentivized to go into this field in Israel that maybe uh, would be applicable to um, other markets? 
let's maybe we start with some context. So cyber is hot in Israel, as it is in many, many other places. Uh, and it, it connects as a field, as a professional field, uh, with, before we even get to the army piece and the army training. Uh, obviously, not the army isn't the only training ground. It, it connects up with our uh, self, uh, self-image, uh, true or not, but self-image of uh, being a startup nation and an innovative nation. And uh, cyber is very much, as we all know, I think uh, what brought many of us into the field is how cutting edge it is and forward-looking it is. So that really... Uh, sort of at, at a national uh, ethos level, really uh, has a cybersecurity has a lot of uh, visibility as a field in general. Uh, and in that context, uh, we have um, uh, lots of connectivity in Israel. I think uh, uh, since the 1990s, we've been uh, uh, among the top 10 countries in terms of our connect- connectivity and uh, as, a, as we all know, vulnerability uh, as a result in uh, in cyberspace. Uh, so it's it's a very much talked about field, talked about issue, and uh, when we combine that with the how would we describe it the, the the strong engagement of the Israeli army as 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 is the case in in, in other armies as well, uh, then we have lots of young women being introduced uh, uh, to pretty high levels of training early on and then moving on, uh, as well, as men do, moving on into the private sector, many of them afterwards. So that that's one piece of it. Again, um, stop me if I'm going too much into the weeds. But just to complete the picture, we also have lots of uh, deep reach programs into high schools and even into elementary schools to train kids early on into, in cyber hygiene. We have a matriculate, national matriculation exam in uh, in cybersecurity since 2017. And I know the U.S. doesn't have a matric exam, but just imagine an SAT in cybersecurity. That might be the equivalent. Uh, and uh, it, lots and lots of, uh, of uh, programs within um, the NGO sector to reach down into the educational system, identify women who, girls at that point, who uh, um uh, might you know might might turn out to be interested in cyber for uh, uh, for a variety of reasons and, and profiling profiling is a hard word but uh, they come into it uh, um, with sort of natural tendencies that uh, I'm not saying this very well that might support a cyber career and that reaching down goes uh, uh, starts at the beginning of probably seventh grade so. I'll stop there. Again, we can do more details, but I, I hope that is in the direction of what you wanted to hear. Yeah, absolutely. So, Andrea, do you have um, anything that you would add to that about where there may be common strengths in the in the U.S. system or um, where there are elements that we could pick up and learn from? Yeah, definitely. And you know, on the one hand, I think that you, what we're seeing in the U.S. is moving in the right direction because we, we are getting a lot more of the of the groups that are starting to form targeting girls and uh, younger women to get into the field. And so part of that is changing. There's partly, you know, a, a switch going on, raising awareness to it. And, and part of it, uh, I honestly, it, it links back to some of the Hollywood portrayals, uh, which is interesting. It goes back to the, you know, the notion of, you know, they won't be it if they won't see it. And so the, the switch at the conferences where we're starting to see more uh, you know, senior women giving presentations and just in general, greater diversity across the conferences, that helps out a, t- a ton. 
I think Hollywood portrayal is actually showing some of some the cybersecurity industry and some of the you know, and having better representation and not just being the the hooded uh, young teenage boy. Um, I think does help draw more attention. But then there's I really want to give a, you know, a, a shout, to, shout out to a lot of the groups that are popping up or have been around for a while and just are now finally getting some of the funding and momentum. Um, everything from Women's Society of Cyber Jitsu, Girls Who Code, um, you, uh, WISIS, Women in Cybersecurity. There's a lot of groups that are popping up and then they're becoming more localized. And I think that's where uh, we're starting to see a, even a bigger push uh, and greater integration to, in, in, to reach down into some of the, the, the school systems. And so um, women and security and privacy is another one. And with those local groups, they're able to have more of a local impact. And so we are seeing some of those shifts underway, but we absolutely, you know, still need to do more. Um, you know, a lot more can, you know, can be done just along the lines of cyber hygiene, like, like Deb was talking about at, at the younger ages. And, you know, there's little bits of that, but, um, you know, what I can tell you know, through, you know, my own research and then my own personal experience with my children is that they're still getting, you know, very minimal uh, input on that. And honestly, it's, it's, it gets to the point where, you know, what you have to have an, an instance like TikTok being taken away or the threat of it um, that actually gets them much more aware of, of how all this affects them. So it'll be interesting to see you know, going forward uh, how the, the students garner greater interest uh, in these areas. But I think we're moving in the right direction in those areas, but just we do. We have a, we have a lot more work to be done. I wanted to ask both of you. So regardless of where we sit, um, what can we all be doing to improve the balance? And and particularly, what can, at an individual level, and we talked a bit about this earlier, what can specific individuals do to enhance inclusion? Well, we've talked a little bit about panels and, and, and things like that, but what else can be done? And Andrea, let me let me keep with you for, first, and then we'll switch to Deb. Sure. I, I think that a couple of things. One is that we need to make sure that this becomes the responsibility of the entire community and not just the women. And that's where for a very long time it has rested on the shoulders of the women to diversify. And when you, know, you are roughly 10 to 20 percent, we'll you know, give it that range, you know, it's hard to change an entire industry. And so we need a lot more male allies popping in and, and they are showing up. And that's, so it's, uh, you know, it's trending in the right direction in that area. But it needs to be something that the community writ large needs to acknowledge is a priority, both for you know, the role of diversity for, innova- for innovation, but also for the workforce shortage. I mean, just the benefits you know, propagate throughout, and we've, there's, you know, the research shows that over and over again. And so the community needs to help prioritize that, and we do see that. And that, again, the, the, the most visible is in the areas of uh, you know, seeing the conferences and the presentations, and those are, there, are, there is a lot greater diversity there than there used to be. But something else that we can do you know, just individually is really helping amplify, amplify the work of the women in the field, and that's either you know, those who, the women who are writing or presenting, um, or you know, within even a, a very small, you know, at the micro level, uh, you know, helping amplify their work when they're not around within your own organization. And so, really taking on, you know, becoming greater advocates and helping amplify their work, uh, I think can go a very long way for at least advancing the cause in that area. And then it you know, gets into as well the hiring processes, if you're involved in that within your organization, really focusing on you know, keeping the bar high, and, but within that, including the you know, diversity, inclusion, and inequity as part of that. And one of the biggest pushbacks I always hear is that, well, you know, we don't want to have to lower the bar. And 
I can guarantee you, you will not be lowering the bar. You, you will be raising the bar. And so that, that's, and I think that companies find that over and over again. And so really you switch, you, rethinking the way that hiring can happen, it's even get, get some of the job descriptions. Like there's just so many little things that have big impact. The way that the job description looks, the way your website looks, uh, I think all those things can help out. And then just really, uh, I can't say it enough, you know, amplifying the, the diversity of voices. Uh, it helps us as a community because we get to hear new voices and new perspectives, but then it also helps highlight that there are all these different perspectives and voices and expertise that are out there that we wouldn't hear normally. And so I think that really just helps all of us. I really would like to echo very much uh, everything that uh, Andrea said. I think all those points are extremely valid. Um, and I would, uh, I'd like to add two examples from uh, experience over the past year. Uh, the first one from recruiting women for our uh, cybersecurity firm here in Israel. So uh, uh, I work for a company called Kuzfidas, and we consciously recruit as diverse a workforce as we can. And we've all, we all know the, the very worn phrase that uh, cybersecurity is a team sport. So the more diverse we can be, the stronger we can be in terms of our cybersecurity postures. What we found in our recruitment of women is that women who are as as qualified, objectively speaking, as male candidates, uh, almost cower in front of job descriptions that may, uh, that describe what we're looking for. So they self-disqualify. And I think this isn't obviously uh, strictly a cyber phenomenon. There's got to be something that we can do to make it easier for key positions to be more accessible to women, even in terms of the phrasing of the, of the advertisements for positions that were we're, we're trying to fill. Uh, not sure how that happens. What we tend, what we've done, and which has worked very well, is to make phone calls to all of our women candidates, even if they, as long as they express an initial interest, and then if they back out or don't send in uh, something beyond a CV, we'll initiate a phone call and uh, ask why they decided to back out. So it's being a little bit more proactive in terms of that kind of recruitment. And we would do it not only for women, we would probably do it for uh, any candidate who we, we thought was qualified and and somehow was intimidated by a job description. So that, that's one thing. And I would just add again to the list that uh, Andrea mentioned, really being aware within conferences and panels that as women, we need to take a stand. And if there's not enough representation on a panel, at a work meeting, uh, in a delegation, to take that really hard, that step that's really sometimes very, very difficult and say, I'm not willing to be the only woman on this delegation, this business delegation, this national delegation. I will only participate if at least another female colleague is present. Now, that's a tough call, but I think it's one of the things that can really bring attention to the issue uh, among folks who might not have uh, the high level of, of sensitivity that we might want uh, to it. Great points. Thank you so much. So, uh, very valuable. So in, when we uh, were talking earlier, we talked a bit about the importance of having a community, having a network, and building up your career um, so that you have... Uh, more resilience by having people that you can reach out to for both the good and the bad. Can you talk a little bit about how somebody who may be new in this field can reach out and, and, and build that community and, and what tips would you give them? Deb, you want to start? 
Sure. And uh, I'm just noting that I didn't hear gender at all in your question. So I'm taking it as a general question. It will apply um, equally to women and and men and anyone in between, as a matter of fact. Um, I think the main piece of advice that I would give on both ends, on the end of someone who's trying to get into the field and uh, for folks who are established in the field, is to be constantly aware of uh where there are opportunities for bringing, uh, bringing diversity into the conversation, whether it's gender diversity or other types of diversity, uh, where can I get the view in the room or in the conversation that's the unexpected view, the surprising view? One sort of plague that I find within the cybersecurity world is that many times the age, there's an age gap, there's age discrimination, so that cybersecurity policy discussions or professional discussions, both at the national levels, the international levels as well, and even in commercial contexts, are skewed to folks like me uh, above a certain age and we miss out on young women and young men and, uh, and and folks in between who have really important perspectives on where cybersecurity ought to go uh, as a profession, the needs of the profession, work-life balances uh, within the cybersecurity profession to sum things up, just really to pay a lot more attention to bringing diversity in almost every moment of the day at every opportunity. Great points. Thank you. And Andrea, what would you add? Yeah, I, I agree. And what I'd, re- what I'd recommend focusing on for you know, those who are new into the industry, and I think that is one of the things that, you know, despite that there's a big gap in the workforce shortage uh, in, in cybersecurity and, and privacy together, it's still a really hard industry to break into. And a lot of it is because you know, so many of the job descriptions and the hiring are for more mid to senior level. And so there are a lot of junior folks who get very frustrated and actually make it turned away. And so what I'd recommend for those that are you know, looking to break in for the first time or are just in, you know, are still uh, at the junior level to really reach out to the community uh, and look at, you know, what are the, what local groups are out there or local events. Um, the B-Sides events are phenomenal for, for meeting the people within your own local community. And it's a really great way just to meet people in a, in a pretty welcoming environment. And then there are other, you know, local groups, you know, for, for women, there's the, the Wysis, uh different groups in you know, mid-Atlantic, Silicon Valley, they're really Denver, Washington, they're across the country, and actually they're popping up across the globe as well. And so find those local groups because those groups, as, as you start going, one, there's, they have great professional development, you know, free courses that you can take. Uh, right now, you know, with, them, with everything going to virtual, it's a really good way to learn a lot through some of these, the virtual webinars or seminars or whatnot that are online. And then you could follow, if you find someone who's inter- you know, interesting on that, you can reach out to them. By really, I, I would network uh, in a way that both is for just getting more ingrained in the community, but then you'll end up making you know, lifelong friends that turn out to be the ones that really can help you through and give you some guidance at, at the peer level uh, as you navigate some of the, the rockier components of, of the community. Uh, but they're all in there, and they're also there to celebrate with you during the, the great aspects of it. So it's, it's really helpful, uh, back to your point on resilience. And I think the you know, resilience is a, is a theme for this year uh, and, and for the foreseeable future. And so the, if you can build up that group of people that can help you uh, grow professionally, um, help us you know, provide the support that you need and provide some of the, the recommendations and encouragement, I think that's a really great way to do it. And so I, I'd, I'd start looking local. I think that's, that, that's really a nice way to start, even if it is at the, at the virtual level right now. Could great I just points. jump in with an extra point that uh, I, I, I'd like to cover? So um, 
this comes from the, the more the academic perspective. So I am I'm really privileged to be able to teach that younger population that Andrea was talking about um, in cyber law courses and cyber policy courses. It's a little bit different from what we've talk, been talking about so far in terms of the more commercial aspects of or, or private sector aspects of cybersecurity. But there are lots and lots of opportunities uh, and lots and lots of funding for uh, anyone who's interested in an academic uh, cyber cybersecurity career. So uh, a little bit uh, perhaps off off the off of the mainstream uh but because it's such a growing field and such a cutting edge field, there's lots of opportunity for fascinating research and uh, the funding is good, is solid. There, there are several uh, uh, centers across the globe. The United States is extremely strong, obviously, uh, with academic programs that uh, really provide all the all of the elements we've been talking about, a network and leadership and mentorship and uh, a really good way to get. Uh, one's reputation built up is to, you know, to write that, that, that even brief article, uh, even before we get to the more significant publications and to really get, I would just add to get your, get one's name out there by uh, having an idea, writing that short paper that might turn into a, a publication. So the academic route is perhaps not looked at so much, but it's really a, a wide open and really interesting and growing academic field. So I would also recommend that path. So for women who are either looking to advance their cyber career or those who are just starting out or considering maybe a career change, what advice would you offer in terms of landing the job and then having impact? How can we help women grow professionally and market themselves in this particular career track? Um, Andrea, I want to start with you. Sure. And this is something that, uh, you know, again, I'd go back to, you know, a lot of the, the local groups and the conferences have separate sections for uh, career development. And so those are, and again, it's either in person or in virtual, uh, both have been going on uh, this year. And so those are really great ways. One, you know, you can go and get your, your resume reviewed and talk to someone who's in the industry and all that is, you, it's free. The conferences are free. Um, you just go on the career development track and you sign up for a, you know, a resume review. And I found, you know, as someone who's been on the other side of that, reviewing them, what I have seen consistently is, uh, and it is especially with the women, failing to really highlight their own skills. I mean, it's to the point where, you know, and it, you know, cybersecurity obviously has a very technical component to it. And when they're applying for technical jobs, they'll hide all their technical skills at the very bottom. <laughs> and so really just you know, thinking about, you know, rewriting the resume to really highlight those capabilities, I think is just so important. And so that, that is something that I think, you know, can be improved upon, but the community is there to help with that. And so I, I'd look for those kind of opportunities. Uh, I'd look for, you know, there are, fun, there are a lot of instances of Capture the Flags, which are, again, group events that you can, you know, learn and develop some of your own skills. And I think that's really important. And then I would add that so often, Deb made this point as well, that you, women actually just aren't applying for it, if it because they don't think they have, you know, 10 for 10 of the requirements. And you don't think about it that way. Think about what you are bringing to it and just apply for it because it doesn't hurt to apply for it. And this you know, this actually was interesting, something that I've seen this year, maybe more so than in the past few years, is that this was not gender specific, where I've saw, talked to more and more people who were hesitant to apply for jobs if they didn't have, if they didn't fit all the requirements, and they were concerned about applying for too many jobs. And so, I mean, my recommendation for that is to go for it. Um, if, there's a, if there's a job that you want that you're interested in, absolutely go for it. And I mean, the worst that can happen is you don't hear back from them. And if you do go through some of the interview process, and if you don't get the job, uh, you know, if it's a good company, you can reach out to them and ask them what you could have done better. And I, I'd recommend doing that as well to get that input so you can continue to improve. 
Great points. Thank you so much. And Deb, what would you add to that? Three words, certify, certify, and certify. So it's um, uh, different from different from the, the sort of more f- free or low cost uh, opportunities that we've been talking about so far. But uh, certification can cost a lot of money. It can cost a lot of time. But it's all the what Andrea was talking about before. What many people or many women end up putting at the bottom of the resume, right up top. There are so many cyber certifications that um, are, are buzzwords, if you will, to those who are recruiting for uh, positions that it just makes sense to sit with yourself for a bit, work out which direction you're uh, interested in pursuing within cybersecurity and just get certified as quickly as you can. It's hard work, but once you're past it, you really have a saleable uh, skill that's been documented and that allows potential employers to uh, understand really quickly what you have to market. And uh, a certification is, is gender neutral. So that really puts you ahead of the game, I think. Yeah, and I'll say hop on on that. I, I agree. That, again, is one of those questions. Like, for some reason, that's the big debate that goes on, I think, frequently within cybersecurity about whether or not to get the certifi- certificates and certifications. And, you know, I think especially for underrepresented groups, it's absolutely essential to help overcome some of the biases in hiring. So I, I agree with that. And it is, you know, it can be a long process. It can be hard uh, and so forth. But I do think it, like Deb said, it's sort of it's an equalizer. And you, will, you may be learning some stuff along the way. I wanted to to take time and um, offer you a chance to provide any final thoughts on any issues that we maybe haven't covered or make an emphasis on a point that we've made. So, Andrea, can I start with you? What I, I would go back to the, the notion of it, you know, it takes the entire community. And so it, this cannot be something that is the entire entirely on the shoulders of women in the industry. Uh, we need to have the leaders get involved and prioritize getting diversity of all kinds uh, across cybersecurity. This is one of the most important missions of our time right now, and the challenges are only growing in complexity, and we need to have as many diverse and insightful minds coming to, coming to bring to bear uh, on such a large issue. And so uh, I think we need to really, as a community, come together on this, leverage the network effects, uh, help each other out, and I think together we can really change those statistics for the better so that we no longer have to debate what they are and we can tell fairly well that uh, you know, we're, getting, we're approaching 50-50, that that would be the ideal world uh, you know, in, in the near future. And I, I think we can get there. But we, again, we have to, we have to prioritize that and, and make some changes uh, both within our organizations and across the community. Yeah, thanks for the, the opportunity just kind of to sum up. Uh, we all share of a passion for this uh, field, which is such a challenging and interesting one. So if you do have the bug, stay with it. Bugs are problematic to talk about. It's probably a different different paradigm these days. But if a cybersecurity grabs your interest and your passion, stay with it. It's a wonderful field. It's an exciting field. It's an ever-changing field. It's a constant learning curve. And uh, those kind of intellectual challenges uh, and personal challenges that it brings are absolutely unparalleled, I think. Uh, so that would be the first thing. And then the second thing would be to, um, you know, re- really try to support yourself and understand that at the beginning of any career path, there are going to be heavy rocks to move out of the way. That That's uh, that's okay. And sometimes they roll back on you and that's okay. Um, stick with it. It's a field that's definitely worth staying with. The rewards are really, really deep. 
Again, great points. Thank you so much. Well, so thank you to, to both of our participants, to both Andrea and Deb, for taking the time to address this issue with us today. And thank you to our listeners. This is a, a crucial issue for us to get right moving forward. So um, with that, I'll turn it back over to Emily. Thanks, Denny. Individuals and organizations turn to RAIN for risk intelligence that cuts through the hype to focus on what they need to know, what to expect, and what to do. If you like today's podcast and would like to learn more about RAIN, go to rainnetwork.com slash join to become a member today. RAIN members get access to webinars, podcasts, the daily risk book, email digest, expert content, and more. So go to rainnetwork.com slash join to become a member today. I'm Emily Donahue. Thanks for listening.